This podcast is sponsored by Smithfield Culinary. Everyone in the industry knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great, ready-to-cook, ready-to-eat products with Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real, working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow Smithfield Culinary on social media. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a restaurant industry podcast by The Last Bite Network, a product of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Holly Petrie, here with the latest episode. Before we get into that, here's some news from The Last Bite Network that's been happening in the past few weeks. Be sure to check out the latest episode of Takeaway with Sam Okus, featuring Chicken Salad Chicks CEO, Scott Davini. Over on Restaurant Hospitality, Brett Thorne's latest episode of In the Kitchen featured Alexander Smalls, who shared his plans for opening an African food hall in New York City. And now it's time to introduce my two co-hosts for this episode. My name is Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I'm Ron Ruggles, Senior Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Hello, Ron. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back, House Texas. (laughs) Well, we still have to, it's still January, Ron. What are your resolutions for the new year? I never make resolutions because I always break them. We're a team of no resolutions. Oh my God, it's so sad. Except for you. Except for me. I'm just uh, uh, swearing I'm going to get out more out of my uh, pandemic hibernation. That's fine. That's yeah. a good one. That's that counts, Ron. That still counts as a resolution. That's still you're still doing something. Just call them goals because if you yeah. make them New Year's resolutions and you're bound to break them, but you can just call them goals. Oh, this is a nice little segue into um, the book I started today, which is Atomic Habits. Have you guys heard of that book? Have not. No. Um, it's everywhere, and it's by this guy named James Clear. I probably many people listening to this have heard of this guy because he's. It feels like he's everywhere, but it's all about how little changes lead to big achievements, basically. So you just make little changes to your life to make big achievements. So I'm more about that kind of stuff than New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions just feels like novelty. But goal setting and changing your, you know, change, bringing actual change to your lifestyle, I think is important. You just have to see it. I guess it's how you frame it. And uh, define a a small change for us. So it might be like, uh, I mean, you could be, it could be a diet thing. It could be even something so simple as saying, okay, every day at 7 a.m. I'm going to do 10 push-ups or something, you know, versus it's the difference between doing saying that versus saying I'm going to put on 20 pounds of muscle this year. You set you frame it's about framing it as well. I'm going to start with doing 10 push-ups in the morning. Because that way, if you do 10 push-ups in the morning every single day, it leads up to saying, you know, maybe adding 20 pounds of muscle in the year. Very smart. I that can actually apply to everybody in the restaurant business too. <laughs> Absolutely. Bring it back, Ron. See, I knew Ron <laughs> well would done. be able to bring everything back around. Well done. Well, Ron, That's my resolution was yep. to well, my my resolution was to make my bed every day. You can see it down the hallway in my corner. It's made. That's I'm keeping it up. 27 days made my bed. Sam thinks it's terrifying that I didn't make Ho- it before now. Holly's becoming an adult before our very eyes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we're so proud of her. <laughs> I did break both the January and uh, dry January, though, so it uh, did not last the whole month for either of those. Uh, is anybody really doing dry January? I was, and I, I know multiple people. Really? I know multiple other people. Yeah. 
how in this business can you? I did it and then I stopped it. And then yesterday I ate maybe 10 pounds of Taco Bell um, hungover. So uh... <laughs> you got so close. You got well, so Sheila, close. Uh, Sheila Bennett of CORE was in town and we went out to a uh, fairly new Mexican restaurant. And they had a variety of margaritas. So I drank margaritas. But one of the things I discovered is this restaurant. It's Hugo's Invitadas. Uh, they have a $1 margarita at lunch to kind of increase the sales of drinks at lunch. And it's a little small. Uh, you have two choices of margaritas. Nice little operations deal. Everything about that sounds dangerous. Yeah. How it big does. are the margaritas? Are they almost like shots? Uh, probably about six inches tall and it's a small glass. It's not a big one, but it just, uh, you know, just nice. You can have a three mar margarita lunch and not be blotto by the end of the day. I think three margaritas is being nice. I think I'd have about eight and be blotto. But I also think one margarita at lunch is probably too many margaritas for lunch, I, unless it's a Saturday, I guess. But yeah, I, I think if I had a margarita at lunch today, for example, I would be useless for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I believe in margaritas for breakfast. So that's I think it. you're thinking. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Let's get into the news before we all crave margaritas at 11 in the morning. Marty there. Yeah, too late. <laughs> too late. So, I mean, the big news in the world is that, you know, Justice Stephen Breyer retired um, and there will be a new justice on the Supreme Court. But for us in the restaurant industry, the Supreme Court's been making a lot of decisions when it comes to vaccine mandates. Um, they rejected Biden's, you know, OSHA mandate that restaurants and businesses over 100 employees needed to could had to vaccinate their employees, um, which meant that Starbucks had to take away their mandate that employees had to be vaccinated. I mean, what does this mean? What does this new Supreme Court justice maybe mean for the future of vaccinations with employees? What does what does the Supreme Court ruling on this mean for the future of businesses when it comes to vaccinating employees and making all these mandates? I mean, businesses, Starbucks made this mandate. They, they were one of the few businesses to say, we want to mandate employees be vaccinated. They came out and said it, and now they had to go back on it. I mean, what does it mean for the future of restaurants to come out and make these decisions? Uh, per perhaps not. I mean, you know, there's no huge immediate change. You know, one thing to point out about it is that um, it is a uh, more liberal justice retiring in the term of a more liberal president. And so it won't significantly shift the uh, makeup of the idea, ideological makeup of the Supreme Court. Um, uh, I guess more I'm wondering, you know, what is the long term um, implications of vaccinations generally? Because, you know, we have um, a couple more years of a Biden presidency and, um, you know, presumably this is going to be the Supreme Court. Um, once he makes the replacement, this will be the makeup of the Supreme Court for the rest of his first term. And, um, that means that, you know, there won't be any dramatic, there won't be any, unless a uh, um, conservative justice were to then retire and Biden replace with another person, there just won't be any dramatic change here where, you know, you can expect to see um, the rejection of something like a vaccination mandate like they just did. But, but the, again, going back to 
more I'm thinking about, are we going to be talking about this three years from now, four years from now? Will this be a part of the 2024 presidential election? That's the part I'm curious about, because every time we think that this thing is over and every time we say this is a temporary deal or just for the surge or whatever, we find out, you know, that that's not the case and that this keeps on going. And we don't know how many times we'll all have to get boosters. We don't know how long vaccination will be important as the as COVID becomes endemic. You know, we will very likely have to get annual COVID shots. Um, but I, just to wrap it up before I let Ron speak, I would say, you know, it is it is really interesting to me that there are so many other things that require vaccination. When you put your kids into school, they require vaccinations for it. And it is a, a, a real shame that this became so political um, that, you know, COVID might not be that. But depending on how all, everything shakes out, it does feel like, you know, we might have to get it to a point where COVID, a COVID shot perhaps is a requirement, but um, but the makeup of the current board and, and the makeup of the uh, or the makeup of the um, Supreme Court and the makeup of the court after Biden makes this replacement will um, continue to obviously learn, lean conservative, which will lean more pro-business and, and probably um, resist vaccination mandates. And I think the real crux of that uh, vaccine decision was on the ability of OSHA to make rules that govern the workplace. Um, the fact that vaccines were uh, mandated through OSHA, the court said, nope, that's way beyond your scope of your powers, I think should give a restaurateurs the breathing room to know that OSHA will not be meddling in their affairs while this court is in uh, seated at least. Do you guys think that we have to worry that um, that these mandates could come from someone other than OSHA? Could some could some other governing body come down and put a vaccine mandate on um, restaurant operators? I mean, it, it OSHA got the no, but could could it come from somewhere else? Well, I think the administration was trying to figure out ways to incentivize businesses to get their employees to get vaccinated because of the pushback on vaccines. So I don't know if they have any of the other tools in their tool belt to uh, to force something like that. It's, it's going to have to be appealing to the common good rather than forcing businesses to get their vaccines to their employees. And of course, it's an interesting time for all of this, considering the labor challenges that are ongoing. I mean, yeah. you know, is it a good thing to have your whole team vaccinated? Yeah. I and mean, that's why the, you know, there was a push for this vaccination mandate is because that is, um, it would be a, a good um, weapon in the arsenal against COVID right now. However, to have a requirement such as that also makes it you know, is another um, as another hurdle to clear as you're trying to hire employees. And so all of this is just a perfect storm um, to make things very just topsy turvy. And again, like, you know, you, you just wish we could strip the political nature out of things because, you know, we should approach these things sort of by as a as a um, you know, there's a, a public health component of it. There's a personal choice component of it. There is a um, certainly business and labor practices component of it. And all these things should be 
you wish you could just sort of approach each of these things individually, but it's just this perfect storm of stuff happening all at once that um, is uh, just ultimately making it a mess for everybody. And so, yeah, I mean, from the Supreme Court's perspective, not, you know, striking down that mandate, um, you, you know, could be seen as um it didn't have to be seen as, as some sort of ideological thing. It could just be seen as following in, in you know, align with um, more of a capitalistic pro-business free choice um, decision. But the state of things is just that it has to be seen as a, as a political thing. And um, anyway, it's, it's, you know, a lot to deal with all at once. And so restaurant operators out there, it's just, you gotta be resilient. And so Holly, your answer to your question, no, nothing changes in the, in the near term. Nothing changes, nothing. So everybody, nothing changes for now. Uh, nothing to worry about, but it's something to look out for. I mean, it's definitely something to keep in the back of our minds as we do stay on top of things. Um, okay. So moving on, Ron, this morning, we're, we're recording on Thursday. Um, this morning, McDonald's reported a little bit more of a happy news. You know, we get to hear from McDonald's. Can you tell us a little bit about what you heard on the call? Yes, uh, the they had a good quarter, and uh, CEO Chris Kapinski uh, came back and said that 99% of the U.S. dining rooms are now open, which uh, has a lot to do with staffing as well, because back in December, he told the Wall Street Journal that 10% were having limited hours because of staffing problems. So things are starting to look a little uh, brighter, a little rosier for this year ahead. But like everybody else, I think they have in the back of their mind what what the next uh, variant or what's going to be happening next. Nothing smooth sailing. Yeah, I mean, last year, of course, we were talking about the roaring 20s in 2021 being some boom year for everybody. And it will be interesting, you know, we're, we're coming into earnings week here and it'll be interesting to hear, you know, I'm sure the optimism will be tempered, um, certainly coming out of Omicron, just because we, we've we learned our lesson in 2021, never get your hopes up that this thing is officially over. But I do think it's noteworthy that, you know, looking, kind of taking a step back and looking broadly at the last month and a half, two months with Omicron, you know, of course, we didn't see shutdowns like we saw in 2020. We didn't see um, th there were not so drastic of measures taken to um, curb COVID, the spread of COVID. And so, um, you know, people people are more or less back to normal. I mean, you know, with with some exceptions. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I I um, have incorporated, you know, lots of um risk mitigating measures, but I'm still not nearly as shut in as I was in 2020. I'm, you know, we going back to normal life, my kids are in school, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that is all to say that, you know, for restaurants, that means restaurants can be open and service is more or less normal, but it just, you know, as we know, and, um, you know, the NRA just issued a report about the dire situation of restaurants without the um, additional aid from restaurant revitalization funds. Many restaurants continue to suffer just because any kind of disruption to business is significant when you blow it out onto a national restaurant scale. So all of that is to say is like, yeah, what kind of optimism can you have for 2022? I'll be interested to hear what the restaurants say in this earnings week. But by and large, I'm sure it's going to be tempered because we just don't know. And also, I think a jack-in-the-box in California was just received a complaint from an employee 
uh, at mid-month who was told that she had to come back to work, but she needed to wear a mask and not tell anybody she had COVID, which uh, it's, it's going to be a ongoing problem for all restaurant operators from big ones to small ones to the one that I went to on Wednesday night. Everybody's going to have a problem. I mean, you know, going back to McDonald's, they, they do seem to be optimistic. They just released a promotion with TikTokers and the secret menu hacks. Uh, so they, yeah. they seem to be optimistic about what's happening and, and optimistic about the supply chain. They're fairly optimistic. And the interesting thing about their TikTok hacks, as well as their trays, is they're not introducing any new products which I think really makes it easier for operations, no more additional SKUs in the back of the house. Uh, these are really smart promotions for McDonald's. So kudos to them. Yeah, that's a good point. This actually came up in my recent um, podcast interview with um, Craig Dunaway from Penn Station. He was making the point that in the midst of all the supply chain challenges, if you want to um, bring some energy to your marketing around your menu, you don't need to develop a new menu item or LTO or something like that. Focus instead on looking at your menu with a new angle and a new lens. For him at um, Penn Station, that meant um, promoting items that are um, you know, not their top sellers, some items that are on the menu and have been on the menu, but don't necessarily have the same popularity because there's a lot of people out there who might not even realize that that's on their menu or if they have a regular order, they haven't given it any consideration. And so same thing that McDonald's is doing here. You don't have to roll out an LTO. You don't have to develop a menu item and go through all that you have to go through. And we all know that McDonald's menu development process is you know, a years long thing. It's a, it's a huge, huge um, process they have to go through that you can still bring in new customers and drum up some excitement and some momentum by looking at your menu through a new lens. And so I think that's um, particularly interesting with that campaign that they did. And we all know that TikTok right now, I mean, what we've seen with Popeyes is doing this, many other brands um, leveraging TikTok to, um, to, to drum up that support. And it's obviously working. And uh, what, two weeks ago, McDonald's said they were going to expand their test of the McPlant. So they're still doing menu innovation around the edges, but I think they test it out and they're just so huge. 14,000 restaurants in the U.S. that it's they have to be have all their ducks in a row before they send them out the door. But I mean, using secret menus, a lot of them are really popular on TikTok now. In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A both have really famous secret menus on TikTok that are trending. Um, I mean, the In-N-Out secret menu is like super, super famous. Um, not, those secret. Kind of, not secret at all. Exactly. Like they're not they're not even secret menus at this point, but like there are things that you could easily add as LTOs to your menu that are, you already have on the, that you have everything in house to do it. It's not, you're not adding any additional ingredients. You're it's, you know, the people love them. It's something that's so easy to add as an LTO that it requires nothing additionally, but is still something that's so much fun and could drum up so much social media buzz. Yeah, it's playful and, and creative. And um, yeah, and especially if you have a bigger menu, I mean, there's so many opportunities to mix and match and try new things. And, you know, there's this whole hack culture, the, uh, you know, it's trendy to find these little hacks. And, um, you know, once upon a time, I feel like a lot of brands actually didn't like it when there were those hacks there, you know, those little um, secret menu things that they frowned upon it. But now, 
I, you know, you can clearly tell that they have understood the potential for content. I mean, it comes, what it comes back to is content. How do you, how do you, cause you're, again, you're not changing your menu. You're not changing anything about your restaurant. It's just a matter of the content you're putting out into the world. And, um, and so this is, I think it's, it's great for restaurants to pursue because you're pursuing little hacks, creative tips and tricks. And if you've got it there, then you might as well just go for it and have some fun with it. Well, that's like the Chipotle quesadilla. They put that on the menu. It was a hack for forever. And then they put it on the menu and it did well. Your TikTok followers can be your, uh, um, you know, your, your sample, your, um, your test case. You can see if what people think and then go from there. Ron, were that you going to say something? I, I, well, I should put some content on my TikTok. <laughs> I didn't even know you had a TikTok, but yes, obviously. I, I, clearly. Do it for, I do it for lurking. I like to watch and see what the brands are doing. I also lurk on TikTok. I, I'm on it every single day. That I don't post lurk. anything of my own. Lurk feels like a very strange word to use with social media in particular. Maybe you could say you're, you're a fly on the wall or something. But uh, you guys, you, you better be careful, Ron, because I'm going to put you in charge of NRN's TikTok before long because you know we're about to start one and it's going to, yeah. somebody's got to yeah. do it. So. You've got to have somebody with younger hips because I would break one. You're not going to do NRN dances? <laughs> no, no NRN dances, please. <laughs> Oh, I think people would pay to see you do some NRN dances, Ron. <laughs> Maybe we'll have Brad come up with the NRN dances then. <laughs> we'll start the trends. <laughs> All right, Ron. Well, why don't you tell us who you interviewed this week before we get into too much TikTok nonsense? <laughs> Actually, I was able to uh, have a chat with Ian Baines, the CEO of BurgerFi, which acquired Anthony's in November. And uh, that's 117 units for BurgerFi, 61 for Anthony's. It's a fast casual married to a uh, casual dining chain. And there's some news that comes out of this. Uh, they are looking at smaller units for Anthony's because uh, they're finding off-premises sales have increased during the pandemic, as well as uh, testing in four units, new ovens that are not just coal fired, but they're gas and coal fired. So they're looking at reducing the footprint of some of their Anthony's going forward and uh, seeking some franchisees on the East Coast. Very exciting. Can't wait to hear it. Well, everybody enjoy the interview. This podcast is sponsored by Smithfield Culinary. Everyone in the industry knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great, ready-to-cook, ready-to-eat products with Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real, working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow Smithfield Culinary on social media. Uh, Ian, thanks a lot for spending time with, with us today. Please uh, tell us a little bit about your new position and coming from Anthony's and what this means for the company going forward. All right. Oh, hi. So, hi, Ron. Yes, uh, my name is Ian Baines, and uh, I am the CEO here at uh, BurgerFi. And uh, I was, previous to this, the CEO for Anthony's Coal-Fired Pizza, and uh, uh, through the uh, acquisition of BurgerFi, uh, purchasing Anthony's uh, back in November of, of last year, 
and I assumed the role of CEO for the overarching enterprise and now have responsibilities for you know, both the Burgify brand and the Anthony's brand. Excellent. Uh, you come from a long line of casual dining brands. Uh, what is it like to come into the Burger Fi family? It's great. It's great. The uh, I mean, Burger Fi, um, you know, is a, you know, as, as we know, better burger brand and, you know, chef, uh, you know, chef founded. So, um, so there are some similarities in uh, what I've been exposed to in the past. Uh, and then also Burgify is found, you know, is founded on, um, you know, the use of, you know, high quality, highly transparent ingredients with, you know, with the, with the fresh beef, fresh Angus beef, uh, the, you know, um, freshly pre prepared sides, the uh, array of, you know, gourmet sauces. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited, very excited about, uh, about the product very excited um, about the positioning that, you know, the Burgerfy has in, in the marketplace. It's carved itself out a, a really nice niche, has grown, um, you know, uh, nicely over this, over this last 10 years, both uh, uh, corporately and uh, has a very large and successful franchise community as well. Uh, Anthony's, are those all company owned? Yes. So Anthony's, uh, all 61 locations are company owned. Correct. And BurgerFi is, uh, last I saw it was 116. You may have added some. Yeah, 117 in total and uh, 25 of those are corporate locations. Now you just announced a rather large uh, management uh, addition. Uh, the C-suite has been rounded out. Kind of what does yeah. that mean for BurgerFi and Anthony's going forward? Yeah, so as we think about this, it's building this um, this overarching platform um, from a you know finance perspective, um, from an IT perspective, HR, um, you know supply chain, and then um, bringing on uh, Ron Beskin in the you know chief development officer's role from a development standpoint, and so th uh, those. That overarching structure serves both, you know, both Anthony's and Burgerfy, and you know, is poised, you know, to continue as uh, we, you know, uh, look for other uh, potential acquisitions down the road. They would plug into that overarching infrastructure. Uh, you speak of acquisitions. Uh, what does it look like now for the M and uh, landscape for 2022? Well, I, I think, that, you know, it's something that, um, you know, we're, we're always out there, you know, whether it's uh, incoming uh, inquiries or, you know, keeping, keeping an eye to see what is out there. Uh, BurgerFi is about half franchised? Uh, no, uh, BurgerFi is about 80% franchised. And Anthony's is all company owned? Is yes. There is there a challenge or advantages to dealing with the two brands together? Uh, no, uh, no, that's a great, great question. Um, so this overarching platform that I spoke of um, frees up each brand, you know, both Burgify and, and uh, Anthony's, uh, their operations team are you know, independent of this overarching uh, structure. So they can be intensely focused on, um, you know, taking care of their people, uh, making sure that we're, you know, executing consistently at a high level, maintaining the culture of each of those brands, uh, you know, because they're, you know, they're, they're slightly different. 
and you know maintaining one's own cultural identity um, uh, is important. And then also there are, even though there are opportunities for some cross promoting with the two brands, um, you know the primarily the marketing will be independent for um, for Anthony's and independent for BurgerFi. Now you came to BurgerFi through the Anthony's organization. Is it hard marrying uh, casual dining to a fast casual? Uh, no, not really. The the uh, the fundamentals and the disciplines are you know very similar uh, in terms of what it is that you need to focus on and some of the things I already touched on. You know, it's um, you know finding you know and hiring the best people, um, making sure that you have the right culture. Uh, so that you can retain the best people to produce the best food, um, you know, build gas counts, build sales, and uh, optimize, uh, you know, the four wall profitability. Um, so yeah, even though you know one is sort of a, a fast casual and the other one is you know casual dining, the as I said, you know, the fundamentals are the same for for both businesses. Uh, where are you headquartering the BurgerFi business now? Uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Um, yeah, and that was one of the things that, 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 that made this acquisition, you know, a little easier. Um, you know, BurgerFi was founded uh, here in uh, Southern Florida, as was Anthony's. The BurgerFi offices at about, you know, 40 miles north in uh, North Palm Beach, whereas the Anthony's offices are in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, so the view would be that we would uh, bring, the, you know, the BurgerFi uh, office people into the into the uh, same space as Anthony's. Any special challenges in this year, given the variance of uh, coronavirus <laughs> and everything? Anything that yeah, you but, have yeah, on the horizon? <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know we, as we all know, right? Uh, having lived this through this through this now for two years, I think everyone's a little hesitant to go. Yeah, no, I, I think we're almost out of the woods now. Uh, but I, I really do, and I really do think we are, and you know, we're seeing that in our business. You know, our businesses, you know, continue to to uh, to grow in terms of their dine-in business, both for Anthony's and for uh, and for BurgerFi. Uh, and you know, one of the positive outcomes uh, of of this last two years is as we all went to you know more of an off-premise business model early on. Uh, and um, and also utilize you know the third party providers. Um, uh, we believe in both businesses. We expose ourselves to you know a whole set of new new customers um, that uh, hadn't you know hadn't uh, experienced Burgerfy before or hadn't experienced Anthony's before. So um, and then as our dining business came back, uh, initially I expected some of that you know third party business to, you know, kind of uh, deplete somewhat, but that that doesn't seem to be the case. As the dining business has come back, I think those people that were introduced to, um, you know, to the to, to the two brands were actually new, new to the new to the business, new to the brands, and they will continue to use it in that way. They may never come into our restaurants to dine, uh, but they'll continue to uh, to use us uh, in a convenient way, uh, getting the food delivered at home. Uh, the two brands are a little bit different in that regard in that uh, Anthony's is casual dining and BurgerFi is fast casual. Did you notice a big difference in how people were using the brands? 
No, no, it's interesting. I mean, Anthony's previous to uh, to COVID um, already had about 35% off-premise business. Uh, so it was already, you know, very, very healthy, similar to, uh, to Burgify. And then obviously during COVID that ramped up, you know, to a, a much higher amount. But now as, you know, businesses, you know, more normalizing, as I said, you know, the dining business is coming back. But that, you know, 35% off-premise business has now grown to, uh, to a larger number. Now, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, um, you know, we talk about Anthony's being, you know, a casual dining business, but it is a pizza business, right? Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a pizza business and also a wing business. Um, you know, the, the unique attributes of the Anthony brand, you know, with a coal-fired oven, um, it, 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 it is a, you know, premium uh, pizza business, just as BurgerFi is a premium uh, hamburger business. And so, uh, the, uh, you know, the fact that we have wings and we have pizza, um, you know, serves the off-premise business, you know, really well, even though it's a casual dining restaurant, as you say. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. And you yeah. didn't you didn't need to invent a virtual brand to accommodate the. We, but, uh, we did actually. We did actually also add um, another. You know, um, uh, our uh, and our wing brand into Anthony's as well. So yeah. BurgerFi went public through uh, a special purpose acquisition corporation or company. Yes. Uh, anything special in the SPAC area going forward that you think folks should keep an eye on? You mean in general? In general or specifically for you guys? I, I, not, not so much for us. I mean, I, I think in general, I imagine, you know, these SPACs are all out there looking for, uh, you know, for various businesses. Um, but I mean, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not uh, an expert in, uh, in, you know, in that finance world. Um, and, you know, these SPACs seem to, seem to come, some, some seem to go as well, you know, as they're not able to actually find a business to, uh, to buy. Yeah, they have the two-year limit, which really kind of makes, uh, yeah. starts the clock ticking at some point. <laughs> It does. It does. It does. Um, and just anything for BurgerFi or Anthony's uh, that you're have on the horizon, keeping an eye on as we uh, either expand them or deal with uh, whatever next pandemic might come along. Yeah, I think um, you know for for both brands and certainly for Anthony's, uh, you know, we'll start there. Um, as you know, over this last two years, as I, as I said. You know, the uh, pre-COVID, you know, with 35% off-premise business and now seeing that, you know, re remaining robust. So we actually uh, spend some time, you know, looking at our footprint on a go-forward basis. Wow. So, you know, shrinking that footprint, because uh, av the average Anthony's is about 3,200 square feet. Uh, and so now as we're out there, you know, looking for real estate, we're looking for more in the 22, you know, 22,000, 2,200 square feet, um, which, you know, is uh, more than adequate to be able to take care of, you know, the dining business, you know, that we have, um, but, you know, are able to offset, you know, some of that overhead um, by not having, you know, the extra seat that, that we may not fill. And, uh -huh. you know, Go ahead. How big are generally uh, burger fry units? Yeah, the burger fry are around you know, 22, 2300 square feet. 
So, you know, there may be some opportunities there uh, in, in some instances to uh, look for some smaller footprints also. Uh, and then also with the Anthony's business, we have looked to, you know, find ways to make it just a little bit easier to operate. And so we uh, explored and actually have installed already um, uh, in four of our locations, a gas enhanced coal fired oven. Um, that um, because, you know, the, the original Anthony was 100% coal, um, which is, is good, but it's, it, you know, there's a real art to be able to, you know, really work that oven well. And uh, now as, you know, technology has advanced, we have found a, a very good gas enhanced coal fired oven where now the deck is kept at a, uh, the pizza deck is kept at a constant temperature um, so that makes it uh, easier for the, you know, for the, the pizza maker to not have to constantly be looking for the hot spots, the cold spots. Uh, so that, um, that, that, you know, certainly makes it easier in terms of our levels of execution and consistency. So the combination of these two things has also, you know, led us to an opportunity whereby we believe that we can uh, now, um, you know, franchise uh, Anthony's. There's always been, you know, a high level of interest in uh, people wanting uh, Anthony's franchises. Um, we were all always a little hesitant of that, uh, but now, you know, with the work that we've done on the business, it's um, it's much more attractive. Uh, the capital outlay has been reduced. Um, the uh, and then, uh, as I said, with this oven, and we also, um, you know, shrunk the menu down to. Really, the you know the core items is what what always made Anthony successful, um, and already we have you know a high level of interest because now we're plugged into to the acquisition, we have exposure to you know a very large uh, you know franchise community with the BurgerFi franchisees, so there are a number of them that have already expressed an interest in adding an Anthony's into uh, into their portfolio. And uh, I guess kind of last question, what are you most excited about in the, the year ahead? Well, I think the, um, you know, some of the things that I've already talked about, you know, the work that uh, both brands uh, have, uh, have worked on over this last two years, I think has really, you know, set us in a good place to, you know, take advantage of, you know, this, this new business environment that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, we fine-tuned our business in terms of the uh, the unit economics, so uh, you know makes it you know makes it you know, very attractive. We continue to you know garner you know um, a lot of consumer awards for uh, for you know for both brands. So we're getting recognition uh, for what it is that uh, that we're doing. So we we think we're poised uh, in the right ways for uh, for growth. Um, and, you know, we're going to focus our growth primarily on the, you know, the Eastern seaboard. Um, so, uh, and, um, we have, as I said, we have this, you know, large franchise co uh, community to be able to tap into. When you, uh, reduce the menu for Anthony's, uh, percentage wise, how much smaller is it now than it was before, uh, the pandemic? Yes, we went for about, uh, well, probably reduced it by over a third. Uh, and it, it's, it's not unusual with a brand over the years. Um, I mean, you know, almost 20, 20 years old, you know, things kind of get added on and added on, but then when you really start to look at it and look at what is truly selling, 
um, the, 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 the essence of the brand, which is what Anthony started with, you know, the, the pizza, the wings, the meatballs and the salad, that really was, you know, what, what was the, uh, the primary drivers in terms of sales. So we're now kind of refocused back on that. Did that help with uh, labor and uh, what we're now facing inflation? It did. It did. It helped. Um, it helped in, in, in the labor, um, in terms of the e a little bit easier execution, less items for our you know for our wonderful you know cooks to uh, to have to focus on, um, and uh, really helped us improve our levels of execution and consistency because now we're focusing on you know less items, producing them you know more often, and when you're uh, focusing on you know less items more often, folks tend to get even more productive when they're making those. The ghost kitchen brand is a roasted wing. I don't know why the name just escaped me there. Sorry, Ro roasted wing. Roasted wing, yeah, the roasted. Got it. Wing. And it's um, you know there there we serve our uh, our roasted wing wings and now garlic knots. And how long have uh, when when was that introduced? And yeah, that was introduced. Oh my goodness, that was uh, in all. It comes out of all sixty one locations. So you have and that was introduced uh, very early on. Um, um, so it's probably been around for 15, 16 months now. Oh, so it's an old timer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, again, it wasn't difficult for us uh, to be able to do that. So. And last question, if I'm ordering from BurgerFi or Anthony's, what should I make sure I don't miss? Well, I think at uh, BurgerFi would be the, uh, the CEO burger. Um, that's a, that, a, is that name for you? No, 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 no. That was uh, named you know, long, long, long before uh, before I got here. And I think that uh, at Anthony's, you know, I'm really a traditionalist, and so you know the the margarita uh, pizza, um, you know, because you know it is a Neapolitan style pizza, and it it really uh, lets. Anthony's again is very simple ingredients. Um, you know, on that uh, that uh, margarita pizza, you know, we have the tomatoes that we import from Italy, and um, it's just it's just a great product. And then, of course, you'd have to have uh, you know uh, an order of our uh, you know our uh, coal-fired oven fresh uh, roasted. Uh, chicken wings, the original that are, you know, marinated overnight and uh, roasted in that 900 degree oven and get that nice charred flavor on them. Okay, now I'm really hungry. I've got to uh, end this so we can move on. But thank right. you so very much for your time, Ian. I appreciate it. Continued success and look forward to see what happens with Burger Five. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Ron.